0: Well, let's welcome you back to This Week in the Association. I'm Rob Panier, thankfully joined once again by my good buddy, Kevin Loco. This week, Kevin and I are, are will not have a guest with us as we're heading into the end of the new year, and we're going to continue on with our series looking back at 2022, uh, starting again next week. Uh, but Kevin, uh, I want to just kind of talk here about the, the biggest news that we saw this last week. Now, th- this came out um, after you and I had had, or after Carter had been on last week, and I talked about it a little bit in the show, um, just kind of recapping stuff going on. Greg Taggart going to to Winnipeg, you know, a guy with a lot of experience. Just seems a little bit of a surprise move in a way.
1: Well, let's backtrack a little bit. Let's just be honest. Um, I, I think we probably just finally have burned all our bridges. Nobody wants to be on the show with us anymore. So <laughs> it hasn't got that bad yet. I, but... I think we'll be we we'll, we'll, we'll be scraping the bottom soon enough, but. <laughs> it was a interesting Thursday morning news drop, I'd have to say out of Winnipeg. And um, one that I would say was if, you know, we brought up all kinds of names and, you know, in that whole time period that we were suspecting people, Greg Taggart's name never came up. So it was really a, Caught me off guard when I saw the news on Thursday morning while I was at the the repair shop that uh, Greg Taggart was going to be managing Winnipeg. You you know, a, a guy clearly who is... A,
0: a track record you just can't argue with, you know, uh, over a thousand victories has won championships. has one, you know, has veteran guys in in Gary South shore and, and then battled for a bunch of years and became the most annoying manager in the league with those, those young kids out there that he figured out a way to win with. You know, he, he was one of those guys that figures out a way to win with clubs and, and the you know, that seemed like the, it, the, the thoughts out there online were not very positive about this move, but it's like this is a guy with a proven track record. It, it it seems surprising that there is such a negative kind of thought about this here when when the guy has been such a winner.
1: I think it's uh, a lot of people have been I hate to use the word but annoyed by you know um, uh, what's been known as Taggert ball. But within that, it has also been out of necessity. As you had alluded to earlier, that a lot of his teams had a lot of very young guys, and instead of trying to get them to try to keep up to other teams' veterans, they had to establish their own different kind of game and try to win games that way. So that's the image that is planted in the minds of people. That's the last image they saw before Taggart was, signed to the San Francisco organization. But as he also alluded to, Taggart had some teams earlier in his time in Gary where there were a few more veteran pieces to it, and it wasn't necessarily the Taggart ball that um, everybody's become to known. So I think, um, you know, you always remember the last thing people did. And I would imagine with Winnipeg that... Taggart's not going to have the salary restraints that he had in Gary's system, so I, I, you know, I, I'd say let's um let's let the jury be out for a while and let's see what. Greg Taggart does with the team in Winnipeg that I think will have uh, will have a lot more weapons than he had in his last few years with the Railcats.
0: Yeah, I think you're talking about the biggest difference there, Kevin, is that. Winnipeg expects to win. I mean, all the owners expect to win. I, I don't mean to make it sound like Gary's any, the expectations are any less than they are in Winnipeg because they're not, Yeah, you know? Pat Salvey wants to win there in Winnipeg, just as much as Stan Katz does. So I, I you know, I'm not going to deny that anyway. Uh, I, I just think that there's a different way that the ownership goes about it um, in Winnipeg and that they're willing to spend money that, you know, they're, they're going to be right up against the salary cap every time. And, and, Um, You know, that's a nice ballpark, a nice situation that you're in there, and uh, so you got to, when you look at this, you got to think that that Winnipeg Club is going to be very difficult uh, to compete against, and and I'm going to throw this out at you, Kevin, because I I think that this is one thing that people kind of forget is that, you know, Greg Taggart, didn't just come up with a bunch of young scrub guys from from colleges out there let's consider that daniel minor a few years ago was the best pitcher in the american association colin willis was just a flat-out stud that this guy found from out of nowhere you know and we look at daniel lingua and the big season he had this last year you know there's a lot of guys out there that have had that he's turned into uh you know kind of superstars in this league from being guys who were just you know, coming out of college from somewhere that nobody really ever heard of. And, and I think if you kind of blend that together now where he can have some veteran guys with his experience of finding those rookies out there, and this Winnipeg club could be very difficult to play,
1: yeah, I think you I think you make make several good points there that it's gonna be a good mix of youth and experience, and as we know in this league, if you've got young guys that can come in and contribute and put up damn near um, veteran-like numbers right away, that is a huge bonus in a league like this. And I think I was reading a little bit on Tagger too, that um, one of the his good traits, too, is, is, is the work that he puts in before he signs a player. That he'll go in, he'll look at the stats, he'll talk to – Former teammates, former coaches, and just find out about the player too, and find out that player is going to fit into his system. So, you know, I say, let's give the let's give it a season in Winnipeg, and let's see how everything shakes out. You know, and the point you're making there,
0: Kevin, a, a few years ago, and I, I don't remember the player's name, and it doesn't really matter, to be honest with you, but there was a player that had an incident in St. Paul one night, and, and Greg was, like, having none of that. A guy was gone the next day and was one of his top players, if I remember correctly, he was, like, second on the team in hitting. But, he's, you know, he's ex- his expectation is you're going to come in there and you're going to conduct yourself, like you know, like a man. You know, you're going to do things in the right way that represents the team well, so um, you know, no shenanigans out there with Greg Taggart. He, his expectation is you're going to fit in well with that roster. And, and I'm kind of curious, do you do you see this team being significantly different in terms of the makeup in comparison to Rick Forney and how
1: he built the club? I don't think so. Like we had talked about, I think the strengths are going to be, you might see younger players that are going to contribute more as opposed to just being guys to fill up uh, the quota of rookies. You know, you're not – some of these teams you see your rookies are going to be your backup catcher, uh, barely utilized bullpen piece, and a few others that don't make an impact, whereas I think with the Gold Eyes, you're going to see rookies on the team that are going to be ready to step in and play major roles in the ball club. Yeah,
0: I think you're right about that, Kevin, and um, I think this can going to be a very fun fun team to watch. I'm, I'm curious. We got, you think we're going to see that four-man rotation making its
1: way up there to Winnipeg? That would be interesting to see because it really seems to be going against the grain of what we're seeing in baseball now where, especially on the minor league level, you play six games a week and you've got – Sometimes you got six different guys starting, and a lot of times that leash is very short, too. So it'll be interesting to see if he does find four guys that could work into that system and stay effective throughout the year. Yeah, it will be interesting, too, to see what the impact of him being around
0: the Giants organization and how they do things, how that might change his managerial style for next year so. Uh, Not to mention, team, you know, he saw a
1: lot, of, a lot of minor leaguers play last year, too, and guys that I'm sure he um, kept a little mental notebook, on um, too, where if he sees a guy that gets released by the Giants and he thinks that they've got that little something in them, well, he's got a connection right there to get that player to Winnipeg.
0: Yeah, so... Winnipeg should be a very interesting club this season and uh, kind of, you know, was in that spot last year uh, just making the playoffs. Uh, um, unfortunately, I, I, you know, I think they had a very legitimate shot at knocking Fargo out. Uh, for, unfortunately, Max Murphy breaks his leg in game two and, and you know, it was kind of a foregone c- conclusion that they were going to, you know, drop out of the playoffs at that point. But, uh, you know, th- this is a... I think a little bit better pitching staff for them this year and um, it'd be interesting to see what greg's able to do with that because if they're if they had a little bit better pitching last year I think that they could have easily been the champions I and mean, that
1: was a very good club that did seem to be the bugaboo of the gold eyes the last couple seasons too as uh, starting pitching just didn't seem to be up to previous Winnipeg goldeye standards.
0: Uh, some other big news around the American Association, Christian Correa got his shot there at, at affiliate bulk, And and Kevin, we love this guy. Fun to talk to. Exciting he's getting this opportunity.
1: Kind of interesting that he's going to go right into coaching, I believe. Was that what I read?
0: I think you're right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, six, I think six of the last eight seasons he's been in the championship series. So, uh, you know, I guess there's so much you can see, you can do after that. So congratulations to him getting that shot. And, and uh, a guy, who clearly, everybody talks about, uh, about what a phenomenal job he does behind the
1: plate. Some group of
0: catchers and pitchers are going to definitely benefit from him.
1: So I guess it was poetic justice then in his last game as a professional baseball player. He scored the winning run. <laughs> yes, it was. Absolutely out there. Well, Kevin, let's talk a little
0: bit about uh, uh, when you were out last week here with it. I wanted to kind of discuss a couple of transactions with you. So, Aaron Takis signs with Lincoln, a guy we we like out there. He's really proven himself to be a hard-nosed player and can do just about anything you ask. And uh, Lincoln went out and and also signed uh, outfielder Connor Panas, which I'm I hope I'm saying that name correctly. So, um, I, I'm I'm not exactly sure where Aaron's going to wind up playing in this and uh, for the club next season, but he he really seems like a Brett Jody type of guy, and I, I look for him to have a big season for the Salt Dogs.
1: Boy, um, Tackus is getting to be an American Association jersey collector. That'll be his fourth ball club in in the league in a little more than two years. Uh, Gregory
0: Vasquez, Vasquez comes out of uh, Gary South Shore, signs with Milwaukee. And then the late country re-signs Nick Harrell, Alex McCray, and Jay Snyder. McCray, Ke- Kevin, had a, had a phenomenal season last year for the Dockhounds. And a um, guy with major league experience, you know, we, we expect big things out of him. But, boy, he looks like he's set to anchor that rotation again.
1: That's been a real blessing for the some Dockhounds club is to have somebody with major league experience at. That- lives in the Oconomowoc area and wants to continue with his baseball career. So it's been, um, it's been mutual been mutually beneficial for McRae and the Doc Hounds. Well, let's, uh, since
0: we're here at the end of the year, uh, Kevin and I want to talk a little bit about, you know, our thoughts on this past season and kind of looking forward to 2023. And, and uh, so we're going to go like totally off script. If there's never been a script to the show, we're, we're going to throw it out the window
1: here and, and
0: talk a little well, bit about... Well,
1: you usually have the script, and I'm usually the one that um, <laughs> blows it to pieces. <laughs> well, see, now you don't got to worry about that here tonight.
0: We, we had a new team in the league last year, Kevin, Lake Country. Uh, you know, good, it seemed like it got good fan support. Ballpark looked good. Both of us were out there and got to check it out. Um, looks like there's, you know, there, there's still a, a kind of a work in progress there. Jim Bennett was in his first season as, a, as a, the guy doing everything. And... Um, looked like he had a pretty good club. As pitching, just kind of fell apart for him as as the season went along. There, but um, as as you look forward to this kind of thing here, now we, we've seen a lot of new clubs in this in this league over the last five years. Kevin Milwaukee came in, and Cleveland came in, and Chicago came in. Kane County comes out of affiliate ball. Uh, I mean, that entire East Division you know, right now, with the, with the exception of Gary, is is new teams to the league within within the last five years, and. You know, I, I worry, Kevin, because you and I were talking uh, about a story about King County and their behind in payments on, on the ballpark. And I, I I worry sometimes when you have these new teams come in about the stability of the league. Are you feeling like the league right now is in a great spot? Or are there some, some concerns that you may have about what's going on out there with some of these ownership groups?
1: If there were concerns that that's the level in which it would be, and it would be from the ownership point of view, you know, in going though, and reading what's going on in Kane County, I really can't believe how much they are paying in rent to be in that ballpark. Uh, I just, I cannot see any team paying that much rent in a ballpark in which you'll have, at best, 50, maybe 55 home dates a year. I can't see a, a team being profitable playing there. And I'm, I am was just, I was stunned. Maybe I'm not seeing things um, the right way. Maybe that's the norm. But to me, it just seemed like the, what they're, what they're paying for rent just seems to be astounding. And I, I just think it's, it'd be mutually beneficial for the team and the the, whatever the group is that owns the ballpark to maybe work out a better deal where, and to me too, it seems like uh, the ballpark needed a little bit of spicing up too. So maybe it's something where the team and the whatever the board is that runs the ballpark can form more of a partnership as opposed to a, as opposed to a a landlord-tenant sort of setup, of which it seems to be right now.
0: Well, you know, the interesting thing about this, Kevin, is that we we don't often talk about ownership groups on the show here. Um, But but I think in the last, you know, since May, uh, there's been some stories out there in ownership that, if you're a casual fan watching the league, or if you're you know, a diehard fan, you got to start having a little concern about some stuff. You have Sioux City before the season even began. John Roos is kind of battling with the city about new seats and talking about the team would be moving. And there's a lot of speculation that there may not even be a Sioux City Explorer team next year. And then you have Sioux Falls that got a new ownership group trying to battle to get a, a, a new ballpark somewhere there in Sioux Falls. That looks like it's almost foregone conclusion, but... You know, you never know about how that might materialize out there. And then you have King County and their situation with their rent. You and I have been, you know, kind of critical about Kansas City and some decisions that they've been making here recently. I, you know, I think if you're a fan out there watching this right now, you're you're kind of going, "Man, what's kind of going on in this league?" Because it seemed like they were really moving towards an incredible amount of stability, and I don't know if that's
1: true right now. Sometimes you have ownership groups that they will run a baseball team like a business and because that's what they know. If you own a baseball team, you've done something right to have the money in which you need to operate a ball club. But within that, you can't operate your ball club like a business because most of the time it's not going to work you know i look at uh, the foam family up in fargo the uh, zimmerman and milwaukee i mean both both great ownership groups and they're they're people that know business but they also know baseball too and they find a way to mix it both into a perfect combo that's going going to give you a, a good solid franchise in the league and That's in the end, that's what you're going to need is um, ownership groups that they know how to run a business, but they also know how to run it not at the expense of a baseball team, but to benefit a baseball team. And it is low concern right now that we have seen the situations pop up that have lately. Now,
0: Kevin and I are not coming out of here and trying to present this as some doomsday scenario. I, I think the one thing you look at this and you say, okay, e- even if there is some concerns about there, and maybe there's some very bad concerns out there. I, you, I feel like at the top of the league, there with with Josh Schaub and Josh Buckholz, that they've done a really good job of ensuring that franchises are stable. That they're, you know, we we heard about that thing, for example, with John Rose and the city of. Of Sioux City to begin the uh, begin the year, and then you didn't hear anything about it again, at all after that. And I, I don't know if that's the commissioner's office kind of coming and saying, "Hey, look, you, you can't be battling this thing out in the newspaper; that just doesn't look good." And I don't know what the circumstance that was, but that just became a non-story all of a sudden. And, and I and I, you know, as, as a guy again, cover, You and I have covered this league very closely for the last. You've been from the very start. For myself personally, it's eight years, but down the show, it's been seven for us now. Um. Yeah, you know, I, I don't. I don't think I've. I, you know, the commissioner's office has been so much more involved. I think it seems, at least, it seems to me, in in diffusing these situations. I, I think if you know if there is concern, you got to feel good about knowing the two Joshes are running the show here.
1: Oh, no doubt about that. And who knew that a Sean Aronson rant in. Grand Prairie, Texas in around 2016, 2017 was going to be a line that we so often repeat on this show in that the league is only as strong as its weakest link. And if you do have a league that is struggling, owners are struggling to make rent, um, owners are making iffy decisions or owners are teams to run shorthanded just because they don't want to have a, a sufficient amount of staff. It just in the, And it just cheapens your product in general. And in this kind of world where people, they love the dirt, Rob. Rob, they, they, they want the dirt. Give us the yes, they dirt. Your, yeah, you're right. They love, people love to read stories about Doomsday scenarios. Why is this team folding? Why is this team leaving? What's going on behind the scenes, Rob? Give us the dirt. Well, if you give them the dirt, it just makes your product look bad from top to bottom. And I, uh, to me, that would be the concern of anybody in this league currently.
0: That's very well put, Kevin. Because you're absolutely right about that. I, I would honestly say nine times out of ten somebody that reaches out to me in a text message or Facebook or whatever is to ask me something like, what has happened with this? Or, you know, what does this mean? I mean, they're they're looking for the tragedy out of circumstances. They're never like, man, that was a nice move. You know? It's it's barely ever something like that. So you you're absolutely right. And you know, I think too, Kevin, an interesting thing, going to that comment by Sean, when we're talking about a Grand Prairie Amarillo situation four or five years ago, you knew the league had some issues. I mean, you know, I mean, I was at a Grand a Grand Prairie weekend series against the St. Paul Saints, and I, and, I, and I was joking with Kevin the whole time. I, I I literally could look down from the press box and count the number of fans that were sitting down below me, it's like twenty five. Okay, now I don't know what attendance they were putting out, and I if I remember correctly it was in the it was like a thousand they were claiming. I was like, I know I'm not watching that many people out here. I'm looking, okay. So there's 25 people sitting sitting below me here, and and it was clear, man. There are some issues out here, but I don't think if you look around the league, if you you know if you kind of take out these newspaper clippings, if you just look at the the attendance and and the way the teams are playing on the field and and stability within franchise, it looks like everything is going pretty well. So I think in the big the big picture about this it does look a lot better than maybe a few articles give us the idea.
1: No doubt, because, um, you know, when you look at the, what's in the world of customer service, if you have a good experience somewhere, you're likely not going to tell many people about it, but if you've had a bad experience, you're likely to tell 10. So I I think that sometimes that's what happens, and it just, we uh, apply that to the American Association and baseball in general. It's, uh, it's the bad news that pops up that everybody remembers and not exactly if the league is running smoothly. Well, let's talk about a few things here, Kevin.
0: W- w- Cleveland Railroaders get off to a horrible start this year. Okay, you know I, I think midseason virtually everybody was thinking it, it was it was Gary or and maybe even Lake Country that was going to grab that last spot Cleveland battling to get out of last place heck of a job by Logan Watkins I think we learned a lot about what his ability is to evaluate talent make tough decisions and find guys to replace he's going to have not no issues with visas it looks like this year are they the team to beat
1: in the east maybe I wouldn't say the team to beat, but I would put it as a team to beat and I don't see any reason why they won't be right in the mix of the playoff chase. And like you said, if they can can overcome the visa issues that seem to have made it tough to get the team going early in the season, sure, they're definitely going to be a dangerous club
0: you and I shocked to see Sioux Sioux city out of the playoffs this year. That that's, that's a pretty much of a rarity with Steve Montgomery running the show there. Um, you know, just a club that for some reason could not stay consistently, you know, not able to figure things out. Now, Steve has, has blown up that team almost every year, you know, and, and, uh, and, and gone with a, a new club, you know, we kind of joke with him each year. It's like two days before the season, and he's got like three three position players or something, you know, signed. I wonder if he takes a different approach to this upcoming season after what went on last year, or if it's just, you know, looks at it as a fluke and, and you know, goes on to what's worked for him.
1: I can see maybe a little tweaking here and there, but I don't think you have to exactly go in the full-blown overhaul because when you look at it, they were right in the playoff chase till the final day of the season. And then if they make the playoffs, who knows what happens from there. So it wasn't like it was a uh, coffin on roller skates there at all.
0: Now, I'm curious, Kevin, how long do you think after just a great job that he did managing last year, Leading the team of the championship, helping out Chris Coast there. Anthony Rents is he with Fargo two years from now?
1: Boy, you know, that's um, any answer we have would be purely speculative. I know there are connections with Anthony in, on the East Coast. I believe, is he not from the East Coast? I believe so, yes. I believe you're right. So it wouldn't surprise me if the right offer came up that he would go back out east, but you know, as we had uh, talked with him during the right after the championship, he's pretty entrenched right now in the Fargo community too. So I guess some um, any guess you and I would have would be purely speculative. So I really don't want to go one way or another on that.
0: Yeah, it's just a, a guy you know when you have that kind of success um, that that teams are going to come calling for you. And, uh, you know, I, I think the interesting thing will, to look here, Kevin, is the, the commissioner has hinted with you and I over the last few years that we're, we're getting really close to some expansion moves here. I, I think the economy in the country this year delayed that move for 2023. But I, I think 2024 – you and I are looking at at least two new teams in the league, if not four. And I'm curious. I, you got to figure a couple of those clubs. If there's four clubs out there, two or three are going to come calling for Anthony Renz. They're going to be like, hey, look, I, him and Bobby Post, I think both are going to get a lot of offers if, if they want to take another job. I guess it's just a question of do they want to leave where they're at or the, is this ideal? Because I, I, Anthony talked to us. He's also coaching with, with Chris there at, at Concordia. So he's got both spots that he's working at as well. Um, so, uh, I, I, you know, I'm, uh, that's, that's a tough call for him, but, you know, I guess if you're looking at your managerial career and and you want to do something beyond that, you got to look, both those guys are going to get some kind of an opportunity. And then it's a question of whether they want to
1: take it or not. I mean, you make a good point there. And that's the big if, if they want to take it, it depends on where they're at within themselves, family-wise Occupation-wise, if they feel like they want to take the chance, uproot their family, and try to start something from scratch, I mean, it's a pretty daunting task. But, you know, you mentioned two guys here I think could, either one could take a job, in. they've been in the system long enough where I think they would do an adequate job. The
0: team we've watched get better and better every season, Kevin, has been the Chicago Dogs. Uh, so it's got a terrible start off in their very first year. They were 1 in 13 if I remember correctly to the first 14 games of the season. And then you know got finally just missed the playoffs, then finally made it in the playoffs. Last year we actually had the top record in the division and the little struggles late in the season, you still wound up winning the division in terms of record. Uh it looks like there's really only one step this team needs to make, and that is to, to make it to the championship at least here. And but man, I, it just looks right now. There's a I, Butch Hobson, great manager. Don't mean to question that in any way. It, it just looks like something fell apart for this team at the end of last season. And I wonder what do you do to try to get that kind of mojo, that moxie back that they they had early on, and then all of a sudden lost it at the end.
1: Well, momentum can be a pretty wicked thing, and I felt like they had a good ball club all the year, but for some reason, that last month they just limped towards the finish line, and I don't know how you remedy that, if you overhaul the ball club or not, or if you're, you're able be in there day-to-day, if you're able to zero in on something that maybe you didn't do so well or a part of the ball club that um, you felt like you didn't have the right guys playing. That could be something you could do. Other than that, I really don't know what else you could change. But if they when they extra game with Milwaukee, then they're on to the next round of playoffs and then who knows what happens from there. So, so You know, they do have a good guy in charge with um, Butch Hobson. So, guy's no dummy, obviously. So, we'll see what uh, 2023 brings to the Chicago Dogs. Well,
0: Kevin, let's move around the other independent leagues here for a moment. Uh, First of all, start with, I I know a team that you're really kind of getting enamored with here. So, Florence Yall is going to take on the Savannah Bananas there in May of 2023 before their season gets underway. Uh, You know, this team is really building quite a following
1: for themselves. (laughs) Uh, It's it's fun baseball for sure. It is, and I think for fans that are clamoring just to see fun baseball again as opposed to baseball that's just been weighed down so much by numbers and matchups and rules. You know, I think it's a uh, it's fun. It's a fun getaway for fans. It's something that you're not going to want to go to 50 times a year, but when it comes to your town once every year or so, um, it's a it's a nice little getaway.
0: Yeah, just just uh,
1: the atmosphere around is a lot of fun, and
0: and you know they do some wild stuff there for a road team. You know, you gotta you gotta like what's going on there. So no doubt about that. So should be a fun endeavor there for for Florence. Uh, also, uh, the Jackals, the New Jersey Jackals, signed former major major leaguer, uh, Vin Mazzaro, uh, will be uh, there, probably anchoring their starting rotation next year. So, uh, that looks pretty good for them. Uh, Atlantic League action: Rich Hill signed with the Pittsburgh Pirates organization. Uh, former Duck. I don't know if I mentioned that last week, but I'll mention it now, just in case I didn't. So, we'll throw that out there as well. And I think that is all that has gone on around. Uh, independent baseball over the last week here, Kevin. And uh, we're getting into January, Kevin. you got to figure that now that Greg's in place there, that Winnipeg's going to be looking at, at players, and all of a sudden we're going to start see some sign-ins. I think in the next month we're going to start to see a, a lot of teams reaching out to start getting contracts in place.
1: You know, tracking back to Rich Hill, I was, I saw that transaction today. and Pittsburgh is going to be his 12th different Major League Ball Club. Oh, wow. It just goes cool to show you if you've got a, if you got a if you're a left hander and you're somewhat effective, um, there's always going to be a team that's going to give you a shot. But what getting did, back to what, what you did Moyer reach? Let me just ask, Kevin. What, what did what did
0: Jamie Moyer reach? Didn't it, like 19 teams or something?
1: I'm not sure, but that was the exact guy I was thinking of when we were talking about Rich Hill too. Okay, please okay. go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, Getting back to what you were talking about um, I think as Major League ball clubs shore up their roster Training camp rosters We'll see more guys Getting phone calls to sign When they know for sure that They're not going to have a spot On the Major League roster So I think you will see the signings ramp up um, Once we pass the new year
0: yeah, fans, keep in mind, 45 days about until spring training gets underway for major league teams, so that's not very far away, and um, um, so we're going to start to see a lot of this action start to come together, and hopefully this year, all, all this talk about contraction of minor league teams and what this is going to mean for independent ball, we're going to actually see the come to fruition. Uh, At some point here, I'm beginning to have a little doubt about if this is going to have a, any kind of good impact on independent baseball, but uh, you know, we'll, we'll see if this comes together here because there's going to be – there should be one of these years uh, a decent enough a number of players that are released that helps to bolster independent rosters. So we'll see if that ever happens
1: or not, but we'll hope. Well, what we've got to do is, is these major organizations that are just hoarding these players up, and most of which they – really see little or no future for, and I think that's, you know, the player obviously has a sign when you get the offer because there's no other way to get into, get to the major leagues by not being in an organization, but a lot of times you're just doing these guys a disservice when they're with the organization all summer and they're maybe seeing action in like 40 ball games at best. Uh, that doesn't really benefit anybody. So, I wish the minor league systems would just get down to where they got, like, 25, maybe 28-man rosters in all their minor league levels. And let's let these guys that need to play to get better get that opportunity.
0: Yeah, Look at a guy
1: like Matt Hall last year, Kevin. This guy,
0: a former major league guy, sat for a month in Sacramento, got two appearances. That's just a joke, you know? And I realized I harped on this a little bit last week, but it's like I, I don't, I still don't even understand that that complete lack of respect for this guy. Um, but here's a guy like you're talking about. Here's a guy who should have been pitching every fifth day out there in Kansas City. If you're not going to have him come in, you're just going to have him sit on his butt. Well, there's no sense in you signing him. So uh, these the, these teams hoard guys for really no reason whatsoever, and I think they stunt their their ability. Especially you know if you're a single or double A guy who could be playing, you know, the American Association, even the Atlantic League or the Frontier League, if he could be playing out there, it it seems to make more sense that you'd have that guy batting somewhere, but instead of sitting hoping he might get three at-bats a month.
1: Well, look at a guy like Vinny DeFazio. He wins the 2015 Player of the Year. Gets signed by the Dodgers for 2016, and he just sat. By the time he got back to St. Paul. He was rusty. He just and was he was not the same player anymore. And after that season, that was it for him. Yep. As a matter of fact, I went and saw him down in Tulsa when he
0: was with the Drillers down there, and uh, this was like the, right before he was released by the Dodgers organization. I mean, literally right before. As a matter of fact, now that I had to think about it, and uh, I think he had four at bats the whole year. He sat on whatever. Sort of a DL without being a DL, an active list, or whatever they called the thing down there for the whole season. You know, it was, like, it was like just a total disrespect to a guy who was the MVP of the American Association the previous season with a monster year. You know, and I know he was pretty discouraged by that. It's a joke, that's what I say. Well, Kevin, I'm going to give you. Uh, I'm going to give you a moment to think about this. I'm going to give you my three that are just come to me here. So, uh, three stories that we're looking for out of the American Association for this year. I'll, I'll throw my three out first so you have a chance to think about it, because I've been thinking about this the last two and a half minutes since I just came up with this. <laughs> so so here we go. So I want to say my three things I'm looking forward to are looking to see what what's answered here in the American Association this year. So number one for me will be, who, who will be the surprise team uh, the, for, for this upcoming season? Um, I, I think we saw most teams finish where we expected them to. So we, yeah, uh, Kevin and I both thought Chicago would be great. We both thought Kane County was going to have a, a big resurgence under under Manager George Samus. We knew Kansas City would be great. Fargo would be great. I think we expected Winnipeg to come in right where they were at. There, we were a little surprised, I think, by by the you know Sioux City not not making it there. So they were they were the surprise team this last year. So I I think who's going to be the surprise team this year? I, I think it's going to be Gary Southshore to be honest with you. I, th- I think that team could really be something fierce. So. Um, I, I, I that, that'll be my surprise team. so that's my story number one. Uh, story number two for this year i I hope that we have a better attendance. Uh, you know Kevin and I talked about this quite a bit over the years and uh, um, the last few in particular that attendance has slowly declined. Uh, we watched some Kansas City monarch games where Kevin and I were chatting uh, back on face back and forth on Facebook about again we can we could count you know from, from from the TV set here from our computers how many fans were out there and, uh, I, you know, I don't know what's going on in terms of fans coming back to games or whatever, but it, it just seems to be declining. And, uh, right now, I don't think if, if it was not for King County joining the league and attendance numbers would really look bad in here. So, um, hopefully we'll see a better attendance this season uh, is what I'm going to say. And I think, uh, story number three for me, Kevin, this year will be, um, is Logan Logan Watkins, I think, is going to be the manager of the year this year. I, I think we're going to look at th- – this is a 62-win team. I'm gonna, No signings, nothing. I'm calling this at least a 62-plus win team. I, I think this guy has really shown that he's learned some stuff, and uh, Gary and Cleburne are going to be fun to watch in that East Division. Those are my three things to watch for this year.
1: Okay, well, I have managed to pull three out. I knew you would. The first one is, can Fargo be the first team to repeat since Winnipeg in 2016 and 17? I think if there is an organization that is built for such an achievement, it would be Fargo. Of course, i said the same thing about, about Kansas City last year, which I guess that just goes to show you how tough it is to repeat as a champion in this league? Um, Number two, are we going to see if somebody that's not in the league become that next Adam Brett Walker kind of an impact player? And what team will it be that picks up that sort of guy? And three, what impact will the allegiance between the American Association and the Australian Baseball League be this season. Will we actually see an influx of Australian players, or is it just pretty much a media thing where they're just exchanging games back and forth? Oh, I
0: like that last one in particular. I, you know, I, you know, I, 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 I think to this day, Kevin. We still don't understand what Major League Baseball partnership means. <laughs> I don't think anybody really does knows what that means. Okay, so I, I, I love what you're saying. I hope this is something where you say Australian – we see more Australian players in the American Association, you know, come up here, or, or uh, coaches or managers would come out here from there and, and, and be involved or they'll choose more American association guys to head that direction or something. I, I hope we see something where we can tangibly go, yeah, we see what this partnership is all about. That, that would be nice.
1: And I think it would be key, too, for some of these Australian players that are just playing national team games uh, to get a full season where you're playing 100 games. Granted, you know, it's an interesting season in Australia, but it's not a very long one. So I think it would only help some of these younger guys from Australia to get a full season of baseball where you're playing playing 100 games and having to figure out how to get yourself ready to play that many as opposed to just doing, like, the four games on a weekend deal.
0: I think that would be excellent. And,
1: and you know, especially
0: now that if you're – if you're a guy in Australia playing baseball. You think you have a legitimate shot at playing professionally in the United States. Well, it's great that you're getting in to play in front of your own home fans and enjoy playing in your own country. Four days out of the week is really not cutting it. I mean, you can't have those three days off like that. You got got to be able to play six days a week. And uh, so... You know, getting out here to to professional leagues, even if it's Atlantic or American Association or Frontier League or whatever, it gives you that chance to really learn what it's, that grind is like. And I, I think that's the hardest part, Kevin, because we we've talked to a lot of guys who came out of college, and you know, had big numbers, and then we're like, man, it's just unreal that you're playing all the time like this. We um, Western Europe was a guy who was kind of talking about that, is that you know, you're 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 playing all the time, and um, that's just just the mental part of that alone, I think, is something that you, you, you don't know you can do that until you actually do it. So uh, I, I think these guys really need to understand what, what playing every day or six days a week or whatever for five months looks like. Good point. That's my thought on it. Well, Kevin, before we uh, turn to the Kevin Luco, final thought, now you and I have talked a lot about traveling around great places to eat outside of ballparks or what, you know, what's the perfect thing to eat um, at, you know, inside like great milkshakes in Milwaukee or whatever. Look, you know, I don't think you and I have ever discussed Christmas dinner, uh, you know, this time. We never really had holiday dinners in general. I don't think we've ever talked about, but what, what's the ideal Kevin Loco Christmas dinner look like?
1: It's not nothing that I am having to me. I think Thanksgiving and Christmas both is a traditional turkey with stuffing and potatoes and and yams with marshmallows on top. I know, like, you know, my family just did Christmas, and we had two big pa- heaping pans of lasagna, and I guess that's kind of become a tradition. And you know, I'm 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 okay with that, but I'd rather have that old traditional smell the smell the turkey and hope you don't eat too much turkey and stuff and not have enough room for the sugar cookies afterwards. And you know, I could do like the ham with the scallop potato thing too. I've we've also done that, but I'm a traditionalist. I I gotta have a turkey and hope that the bumpus mutts don't come over and steal it. <laughs> Yeah, I'm with you on that. I I think, to be honest with you,
0: turkey is one of my favorite things to eat. I absolutely love it. And I know that everybody goes out there and talks about turkey is dry or whatever, but my wife, who went to culinary arts school, cooks a very moist and and just a fantastic turkey. It is fantastic. And uh, as a matter of fact, it's not reserved for just Christmas and Thanksgiving. At least twice more during the year, I will talk her into making me a turkey. And, uh, cause I just absolutely love it. And so I'm, I'm a hundred percent with you. And when people serve something out of the ordinary, I'm like, what is going on here? How could you do that to me? So
1: I'm with you. Good choice. That might Kevin. be, that, that might be the first time you've ever heard the word moist on the show. <laughs> hopefully the last for sure. Cause I can't think of a good context otherwise. So <laughs> uh, hopefully that'll be
0: it. And with that thought, Kevin, the Kevin luco um, uh, Final thought for this week.
1: Well, you know, I had absolutely nothing, but, you know, after work today, I went to a happy hour and in the, it was a strange scene. I'm at happy hour with my wife, but we're not even sitting anywhere close to each other at the bar. (laughs) But um, she was there with her son. They, They have some kind of thing they do where he cleans tables and then they give him a free meal for doing it and so we did happy hour, and then afterwards, as we are getting ready to leave, where I did happy hour at, there was the bowling alley. And I got to talking to someone that I've known since I was, like, 18 years old, and we were talking about bowling. And I was talking about getting back into it and everything. And we got to talking about dogs, and I talked about how I, how the fifth dog in our house um, appeared while I was on a baseball road trip. And he said, road trip? Baseball? What? what what are, you, what are you doing for that? I said, well, I get around to American Association cities, and uh, my friend and I do a podcast covering American Association baseball. And he's like, wow, well, that's really cool. And it just kind of hit me, it's like, you know what? Maybe something I guess, you know, you and I maybe take for granted at times. As this is just something we do every week, um, 12 months a year. But, you know what, at that moment I thought, you know what, I guess I am pretty lucky that I get to do this and I get to go out and go to a lot of these American Association cities and just um, interact with the people from throughout the league. So. You know, uh, it gets to be a grind, especially during the holidays. I had to miss last week, end up doing family stuff that, in the end, sometimes you just need someone to tell you how lucky you are to actually feel like you are.
0: I cannot agree with you more. And uh, for all those guests that have come on and talked with Kevin and I during the year and all those people that we've come across as the season's moved along, and, um, and there's been a lot of them, Uh, we're very appreciative of every person that has helped to make this show that people that come out there and listen and find out what, uh, what insights and analysis Kevin and I have, as well as listening to our guests and, 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 you know, we've had great guests this year. I've been very appreciative of uh, players and and managers and coaches and general managers coming on the show and talking with you and I this week. We had fans and, and uh, how, um, what's the word I'm thinking of here?
1: Um, uh, we had a bill parent. yeah family. yeah, there we I'll go
0: yeah host family that's the tar- term I was trying to find there the person is in charge of host families uh, uh with us we got to spend a long time with uh Jenna andreci this year we traveled around taking a bunch of pictures and uh, did a great job with that so we got to spend a bunch of time with her as we traveled around and came across her during the season and uh, she provided great pictures for Kevin's power rankings as well and I am appreciative of the great job Kevin does, and not only providing great analysis and commentary on stuff that's going on and and making this entertaining, but uh, just, you know, his love for the game, this particular game, you know, uh, um, they've ruined Major League Baseball for both of us in lots of ways, and and it's nice that the sport that we grew up loving, we can still enjoy like we did when we were kids, and uh, it's because of this league and the things that they do, so... Very thankful for that and looking forward to what 2023 has to offer to you and I. Oh yeah, nothing to add to that. We're right on. Well, I want to thank Kevin here for joining me again this week. And uh, next week we'll be back on with our uh, look back at 2022 as uh, Greg Taggart and Anthony Renz will be coming up here with us soon. And we're going to have our Chicago dog guy next week, I believe here. So uh, we'll catch him on that particular point. So once again, for Kevin, I'm Rob. We'll see you next time on This Week in the Association.